Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It is Friday, October 29th, live from my apartment and his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today on the program, we have WVON talk show host, Atiba Buchanan. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Great Debate Friday, and here's why. Because I'm about to have a great debate. Not really. Maybe a mini debate. All right. We back up. Uh, Dr. D, as DJ Nate said, uh, is off today. Uh, he's down in his hometown of Alton. And usually on Friday, we do Oh What a Week with Dr. D and I riffing on the news. But Dr. D told me he couldn't uh, make it today. Dennis couldn't make it today. He's taking care of his mom. Producer Vicky, hope you're feeling well. God bless you. She had a little surgery, but uh, Dennis tells me she's doing well. So God bless you, Producer Vicky, and I hope you um, just get better and stronger. Uh, sitting in for Dennis is a dear friend of the show. Uh, he was on last week uh, to announce that he has his own permanent talk show on WVON, his own regular talk show on WVON, and I'm just um, so happy for him. When good pe- things happen to good people, it's a great thing in the universe, particularly when they're freaking talented people. Uh, this guy is going to be the Michael Jeffrey Jordan of broadcasting in the city of Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the great Atiba Buchanan. Welcome back, Atiba. Are you trolling me with that introduction, Ben? <laughs> Jeez. That Michael was just Jeffrey from the heart. Jordan? <laughs> Can we go down to, like, uh, Brad Sellers or something? Okay. <laughs> All right, let, let's redo that again. He'll be the next Brad Sellers of Chicago Broadcasting. There we go. All right, that's, that's easier shoes to fill. By the way, Brad Sellers, if I may, just let me just throw this out there as a diehard Bulls fan was the, the uh, author of the greatest inbound pass in the history of Chicago Bulls basketball. Bulls fan, remember, 1989? Yeah. Uh, game five against Cleveland. Right. Yep. Whoa, Tiba. Yeah, you knew that. <laughs> you have no idea Come on, who, to whom you speak, my friend. I, I, am a, I am a Michael Jordan connoisseur. I am an aficionado, if you will. I, I, I can talk all things. Mike. We could do a whole show on Michael Jordan. No problem. Well, forget it. Forget everything we planned. Let's do it because I can talk right? to Jordan. I was at the I was at the game last night. I have to tell you this. We're in a tangent here, but that's how it goes. Atiba, I went to the Bulls game last night. Sure. Uh, first time I've been at the Bulls game since 2019. I was just telling Nate about it. 
The place was packed. It was Joe Kim Noah night. They were honoring Joe Kim Noah. They were playing the dreaded, hated Knicks of New York. Derrick Rose made his return. The crowd cheering Rose. The energy and the passion in that place was so, it was so alive. And the Bulls yeah. made that great run that fell short. But, man, that place was rocking, Atiba Buchanan. And it was almost like, almost like back in the 90s when Michael Jeffrey Jordan was there. Right. And it, and it would have been if uh, DeRozan would have made that shot. Yes. <laughs> oh. oh, folks, Bulls were down. My beloved Bulls, Atiba's beloved Bulls, apparently, were down 13 points with two minutes left. They scored 12 straight points. Cut it to one. Randall missed. Julius Randall missed two free throws. The Bulls had the ball with four seconds left. Atiba Buchanan. Shanked them both. And they were able to inbound at half court. Yes, because he missed both. And and yet, it was not to be. Anyway, we're not going to be talking basketball for a while. Let me tell you this. Let me just tell you this real quick about that game. I had forgotten that they were playing. I tuned in uh, with just a, a minute or two left. Maybe two minutes, a little over two minutes. The Bulls are down like 12. And I go, ah, whatever. So I turn it. And then on the off chance, I turn it back, and they're down one. I'm like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. So that was so TV, strange. You're, like... you're, you're right, because I, I have no idea how they caught up so quickly. Because I turned it. I, I just assumed they were going to lose the game. And sure enough, there they were right back in it. TB, you're like the two guys that were sitting next to me. They... They literally left at the moment that you turned off your TV. They right. got up and left. And I said, why are you guys going? And they looked at me like, who's this weirdo? First of all, right. they, I don't even know you. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> uh, which happens to me a lot at Tiba. Right. And, right. Uh, and so they left. And I, I was like, well, they, that may have been the spark the Bulls needed. Those two guys leaving because, you know, they scored 12 in a row. That's how I always perceive it. I was like, hey, they came back because I didn't watch. Because had I watched, I promise you, it wouldn't happen. So, All right. Uh, by the way, I, as much as I scoff at notions like that, I subscribe to them. So, for instance, I uh, subscribe to the notion if uh, the announcer says, why, this free throw shooter has hit eight in a row. And as he's yep. at the free throw line, Jinxed guaranteed he's going to miss it. Yep. Every time. Yep. All right, Atibi, before uh, we talk about the issues of the week, uh, you and I have each selected uh, three issues to talk about. Uh, why don't you just remind folks where they can listen to you uh, for your uh, day job? Very exciting uh, news that you announced. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I am still a newly minted member of the afternoon program on WVON AM 1690, the talk of Chicago. You can hear me Monday through Thursday with attorney Kimberly Egoin on Afternoons with Egoin and Buchanan from 3 until 6. On Friday evenings, you can hear me from 9 until midnight with my compadre, Mr. David Seaton on Buchanan and Seaton. Same station. Yes, indeed. Dave Seaton, another good friend of the Absolutely. Ben Jarosky show. Uh, and... Um, brilliant analyst. More of, as I always point out, of the... Um, moderate conservative democratic faction and tb buchanan uh is more of a lefty i would Indeed. say i think that would be an accurate uh, yep. uh assessment all right 
So uh, Atiba and I have selected uh, subjects and topics to go over uh, uh, that uh, news events that have happened over the week that uh, he's either talked about on his show or I've talked about on my show or we both talked about on the show. So uh, I'll get started first. And um, I guess uh, the one I'm going to start with is the cops mandate uh, here in the city of Chicago, this ongoing struggle between uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, and the Fraternal Order of Police, uh, John Catanzara, the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. And this has kind of turned into a political movement of sorts, Atiba. Um, I don't know how much folks are talking about it on your show, what your thoughts are on this, but uh, I, I, I've, I believe that this is the essentially the great conservative attempt to make an inroad in Chicago. Uh, Chicago, obviously, a traditionally a democratic city, uh, but the uh, John Catanzara, head of the Fraternal Order of Police, is an out-and-out MAGA man. Uh, he wears a Trump shirt. He's shown up to city council meetings with a Trump shirt. Uh, before he was the president of the Fraternal Order of Police, he wore a shirt uh, that said, or no, he held a sign that said, I support the president, I support the Second Amendment. Uh, so he lets it be known that uh, he's a Trumper. He was elected in part by uh, the, the, the policemen, the members of his union, because he was a Trumper. Uh, and as such, he seized on the issue that somehow or other requiring Police officers, well, all city employees, but in this particular case, are really aiming at police officers. Police officers to notify the city that they have uh, either had the vaccine or haven't had the vaccine. What their vaccine status is is an unwarranted, unconstitutional intrusion on their sacred liberties. And this is his argument that he has made and he has advanced, uh, and he seems to have the support of the rank and file of the Chicago uh, Police Department. And uh, he has won over some city aldermen by declaring that any alderman who opposes them on this issue will be challenged. Now, most of Chicago, as you know, Atiba, is a very democratic city. So the notion of a challenge from the Fraternal Order Police is not going to strike fear into the hearts of most Chicago aldermen. But there are aldermen on corners of the city in the northwest and southwest side that are very concerned about a challenge from the Fraternal Order of Police. And so they're uh, championing his cause. And uh, they're standing up on behalf, they say, of city workers who should not have to uh, tell the city um, whether they've been uh, vaccinated or not. Uh, I believe that they're at odds with the great majority of voters, residents in the city of Chicago, and yet, it's a sign of the further division uh, that we have across the country coming home to the city of Chicago. So I'm like a permanent class of MAGA people uh, on the Northwest and Southwest, Southwest side wards. Uh, and I think it's where Republicans will be going in the future, make in a more pronounced attempt to try to what color any effort by a Democratic governor or mayor to require vaccines, to require masks as this unwarranted intrusion into sacred liberties. I believe this is where the Republican Party has been. This is where they're heading. They're doubling down on this. Uh, and we're seeing it play out politically in Chicago. Uh, and like I said, I don't think 
it will have a huge impact in the city of Chicago because most uh, voters uh, in the city are Democrats, obviously, and would probably favor a, a, a mandate. And yet, I don't know, Atiba, I do believe, like somewhere in the back of people's minds, this kind of resonates to a certain degree. This notion that sacred liberties have been, um, you know, invaded or snatched away. So to me, I take it seriously uh, as sort of a Republican counterpoint. Your thoughts? Sure. Um, great foundation there, Ben. Lots, lots to chew on. So we did talk about this on our show. As a matter of fact, I interviewed uh, Mr. Catanzara uh, about a week and a half ago. And uh, a couple of our listeners called in afterwards to say that they understood where he was coming from, much to my surprise. Uh, I purposely tried to give him a, a non-confrontational interview. He certainly said some things that I, that I would have, in, in a normal circumstance, challenged him very vehemently on. But in that particular moment, I just wanted, him to, I just wanted to give him a platform to reasonably get out his argument. That said, uh, Ben, what I don't understand is how, how everything gets to be politicized. And you're right. This is a political battle, but it shouldn't be. I mean, we, we talk about va vaccine mandates as if this is, this is unprecedented ground, as if it's new. And it's not. Anybody that's ever had children have to matriculate through grammar in high school knows that vaccines have been mandated for years. Try and get your kid in school without without showing those vaccination papers. And not only do, not only do they need to show they have the vaccines, they have to be done in a certain time frame. And so these are things that have been around for decades. Um, so again, to for us to even allow them to hijack this argument as if it was truly unprecedented and truly new and groundbreaking is is a fault of the Democrats and the, and the fault, frankly, of society as a whole. Because these people are in the wrong. They're on the wrong side of history. Now, the funny thing is, let's look at this, the, the uh, numerical data, the statistical data. 64% of police have indeed updated their vaccination status, and that was a week ago. I would imagine in the past week, it's gone higher. And of the 64 that have reported their status, 80, almost 85% were vaccinated. So he's only got barely a third of, of, of his uh, you know, rank and file not not willing to, to work with it. But again, over time, I'm sure those numbers are going to be even more degraded. So I don't, I don't see them winning this argument. Um, the, only, the, the one thing that does give them strength is the fact that suburban police are saying that they're not going to come to the aid of Chicagoans uh, because they don't agree with the, with the mandate, as opposed to, you know, if it was just an emergency situation, they would come to the aid. But I, again, I think the mayor is going to, you know, they, I don't think they recognize who they're dealing with in Mayor Lightfoot. I think she's going to hold her ground real strong here. And uh, ultimately, I think she's going to win. And, and like you said, I, I, I don't think we have to worry about them taking any, any vulnerable seat. Um, that, that's, you know, they, they might peel off one or two, but, but nothing of any significance is going to, that's going to change the, the culture or the complexion of, of Chicago politically anytime soon. Hmm. Uh, by the way, to your point, I got a text uh, from one of the mayor supporters today that's showing their internal polls shows overwhelming support uh, on the part of Chicagoans for the mandate. I, I, uh, 
I, I am. I always say I'm perplexed by what Kat and Zara and the Fraternal Order of Police are doing on this uh, particular issue. But really, Kat and Zara is an interesting uh, political uh, animal. So it's. I guess I shouldn't be perplexed by what he does. He takes an extreme position in every instance, and that in, in essentially is forcing the debate. This is classic Republican behavior, Atiba. You know this. The Republicans take an extreme position on any issue, and that forces the debate, that forces the center to move to the right. Uh, and so we're seeing that here in the city of Chicago. Like some aldermen, instead of defying him on the southwest and northwest side, are going along with him. Uh, so. I, I get, I, I understand, I guess there's a, the purpose of it, the strategy behind it, but it's such a bizarre issue Yeah, to go is. to battle over. Yeah, and th- but again, this is what they do. At this, at this point in time, the Republican Party has absolutely zero interest in developing any policy that they can stand on uh, to show what they're about for the American people. Everything with them right now, everything is cultural. It's all cultural. It's it's uh, critical race theory. It's uh, ma- vaccine mandates. It's you know what books are. It's it's abortion. Six week. Abo- I mean, everything with them is abor- is about again culture wars. There's nothing substantive about policy. We saw this go all the way back to the last election when during the um, Republican uh, convention they didn't even bother to come up with a platform. So for the first time ever, because the platform is Trump. These people have nothing to offer but but white grievance at this point. And it's 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 sad because again, I've always maintained we need two political parties, and right now we 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 barely have one. All right, uh Atiba, what is on your mind? Let's start off with uh the first thing on your mind. Go ahead. By all means. Um we didn't talk about this on my show, but this is something I, I just kind of wanted to, to vent about, but it is related. Um, I wanted to talk about the latest with Kyrie Irving. And at the same time, I wanted to bring up Ben Simmons because we're looking here at two all-stars. You know, we could argue whether or not Kyrie is going to be a Hall of Famer one day, but, you know, these are two all-stars that are not in a position to play for their team. Kyrie is not able to play because New York has a vaccine mandate. He's not vaccinated. So he can't play in any home games because his team is the Brooklyn Nets um, and they play in New York. So he can't do that. He's losing, I think, $380,000 a game or some, you know, some ridiculous six-figure amount because um, I think he has paid $38 million a year. So something crazy. Nonetheless, um, the, the option was to allow him, for the team to allow him to play in away games. In, in cities that did not have a vaccine mandate. There's no guarantee that he would even play in all 42 away games, or 41, excuse me, 41 away games. That said, the team wisely opted to just sit, bench him for the year until he gets mandated, because otherwise it would have been way too big a distraction. Now, this comes up, you know, this, this is significant one because it is significant on significant on its substance, but also Kyrie has a history of either saying very weird or strange things or taking very weird and strange positions. Um, he's a flat earther, and I and, and I have to bring that up because 
I have a very hard time taking anybody seriously about anything that that honestly believes that the earth is not round in 2021. So I, again, I, he's 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 detrimental to his team. Right now, we've seen Brooklyn still be distracted and missing his presence. They have not played well this year. Kevin Durant's done well. We all know that he would. But as a team, they don't have any cohesion. Um, they, they look lost. And, they, and the, this is a team that is supposed to be a lock for at least the Eastern Conference final. And right now, we don't know if they're going to be in the top four in the East. Um, and, and he's really hurting his team with that. And, and we, can, we can come back to him in a moment. I want to make sure I get in Ben Simmons as well. Because last year, if anyone watched you know, the playoffs, they really saw a meltdown in a game with Ben Simmons, who has a serious mental block about shooting the basketball. He is a poor free throw shooter. We get that. We understand that. Um, he can certainly make layups and dunks. He's just not a good jump shooter. He is an excellent passer, and he is you know, beyond athletic. But that said, we saw a playoff game last year. Was it against the Heat? Was that against the Heat? No. Where he, where uh, he refused. That was against the Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks, thank you. Where he could have made a very pivotal basket in the fourth quarter, and he decided to pass the ball to a player, a, a teammate that really wasn't open. Uh, when he was six foot nine at, you know, three, four feet from the basket and could have laid it up. And not only did he hurt the game, but that was the moment I was I was watching that game with my son, who is a who at the time was a huge Ben Simmons fan. And my son is also very cautious about what he says in front of me. And I had never seen him curse like that. I mean, he was <laughs> he just he couldn't hold it. He could not take yeah. it. I had never seen him lose his mind like that before. Yeah. And after the game, we saw uh, his teammate who could not really keep his composure and said, hey, the game got lost when one guy decided he couldn't shoot. And so that was pretty much it for the Sixers that year. And we thought, you know, he spent the, the entire summer trying to pressure them to trade him. But in the meantime, I think most of us assumed reasonably that he would be working on whatever his mental block was about shooting and improving himself so that he would be an asset to whatever team he played for. But apparently that hasn't been done. He's made himself untradeable because who wants him? I mean, he again, don't get me wrong. He certainly offers a lot, but the, but the team is not going to give up one of their star players to get him, and they don't know which, which Ben they're going to get. So he's made it very difficult on him. And the, only, the best thing he needs to do right now is to go out and play well, and he refuses to play at this point, saying he's not mentally prepared after, what, five months off? He's not mental, and, and then and then it's hard too because these players have resources that are out of this world. He can afford whatever psychologists, psychiatrists that many of us cannot to help him through this. He can afford three or four psychiatrists if he wants. Um, but it's 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 sad. It's a sad situation. I don't know what's going to happen to this, and I don't know if we've really seen him play his last basketball in this league. Um, the 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 Sixers, however, have decided. Once he said he wasn't mentally prepared, that they would go ahead and stop fining him. He had accumulated two million dollars in fines for not playing, and now they're going, they're, they're, you know, paying him his salary. So I don't know what to say, man. I, I'm just, I'm just so wholly disappointed in those two guys individually, 
And I'm, and I'm so sad for the league because we don't get to see the league and all of its brilliance with two of its biggest stars out for reasons that they should not be out. All right, uh, man, a lot to uh, riff off uh, what you just said. I, uh, I draw a distinction between Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving, and I'll explain why uh, I mean by that and get your reaction. Uh, I believe that Ben Simmons, I have some empathy for Ben Simmons. I believe that Ben Simmons, the, uh, the star uh, point guard for the Philadelphia 76ers, is struggling with uh, sort of mental issues. And not unlike uh, the tennis player uh, over the summer, Sako, who said that she couldn't play anymore. She pulled out of, I forget which tournament, because she was very, uh, she was very open and honest about it. And Ben Simmons, I don't think has had the opportunity to openly discuss it at the length uh, that she has. But I saw that game. I'm a passionate basketball fan. I saw Ben Simmons was going in for a dunk, uh, uh, Tiba, as you were saying. He was going in for a dunk, and he passed it off. And they cut to the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers at that moment, the great Doc Rivers, pride and joy of Proviso East, the rival to a T.B. Buchanan's Proviso West, I might add, uh, where T.B. Buchanan graduated. Just want to throw that in there. And they the look of dismay and disbelief on Doc Rivers' face, you know, I know he would, wouldn't want to undercut his player because Doc Rivers is not that kind of guy. He's a great coach and he's a good human being. And he, but he couldn't help it. He's the disbelief. Remember yes. the disbelief on his face? Like, what, what did you just? And so it's clear. That why didn't he dunk the ball? Because there was a defensive player coming in uh, to probably to follow him, and he did not want to go to the free throw line and have to shoot free throws. And we saw this last night in a Bulls game. What you may have missed, uh, Atiba, that two minutes when you left the game was Julius Randle of the New York Knicks going to the free throw line with about five seconds left. Bulls, uh, Knicks up by one. And the crowd going insane, booing, clapping, cheering, waving signs, anything to distract him. He missed both free throws. Oh, I saw him. And, and he shanked he, them he both. Saw he missed them badly. <laughs> yes. And so there are certain players in the NBA who struggle with this, and the fans, they see the weakness. It's like they see the blood in the water, and they go right after him. And, and that's the case with Giannis up in Milwaukee, and that's the case – with uh, Ben Simmons in Philly, and that's the case with Julius Randle. Now, Giannis, his mental strength is so strong, Atiba, that he doesn't, like, care. He doesn't care if you... Yeah, I'm so glad you said Giannis, because he doesn't care, and that's why he's an NBA champion, because he doesn't care. Um, Randle, as we saw last year, he, he, what did he score during the regular season? 24, 26 a night and got into the playoffs and scored 13 a night? Yes. Oh, my God, what happened to this? So everybody knows he's still coming off of that from last year. He's still not back. Yes. But at least he's playing, and at least he's in the game. And and Ben Simmons can't even say that. I, I don't know what okay. that guy's going to do. I don't, I, 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 how, do you, how do you see him? How do you see this playing out? Is he going to get the help that he needs and come back and then and be okay and make himself tradable? Or because I wouldn't I wouldn't trade for him. My my first thought is I hope he gets the help he needs. I have empathy Agreed. for him as a human being. And I, I want him to get the help he needs. Uh because it's it really pains me. 
you, you know, like last night, I was one of the fans booing and waving and trying to distract uh, Julius Randle. I wanted him to miss those free throws, but I don't want him then to go home and have like really negative right, <laughs> thoughts. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know, I, so uh, you know it'll it's going to haunt the Knicks. If their star forward, their leading scorer, you can't go to him in the final minute of a close game because he'll he's too afraid to shoot a free throw. It will hurt the Knicks. And Tom Thibodeau, the coach of the Knicks, is gonna have to figure that one out. And, and if maybe I'm not mistaken, Julius. If I'm not mistaken, before those two free throws, he was like seven of eight. From the line. Uh, he shot well. Nah, it was not. Nah, I, no. I he I heard he made his. He, I, yeah, he shot well prior to those two. Yeah. Well, I. I, I can't when there was really no remember. pressure. All I know point. is that that at that moment, with the pressure on and the the game on the line and the crowd just roaring, uh, he missed and missed badly. So, yeah. So there's that psychological element. Now, Kyrie Irving, on the other hand. And I'm glad you brought up the flat earth situation. I remember uh, the great astrophysicist, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, having a sit down conversation with Kyrie Irving after Kyrie Irving had given, given some comments that he believed the earth was flat. And uh, Dr. Tyson was saying, you know, because you have such prominence as a public figure uh, and somebody who is adulated, loved, beloved by so many young people. I'm having to deal with this. Like, right. this is, this is a fundamental scientific stuff. So please assure the world that you don't believe the earth is flat. And Kyrie had, I don't know if you saw this, he kind of like that look of like, you know, like his sheepishness and he goes, yeah, I, I guess I don't believe that anymore. I just was throwing that out there as an idea. So here we are, fast forward. It's a very similar situation where he's announced that he won't play because he doesn't want to be forced to be vaccinated. He hasn't explained exactly why. And he's allowing himself to be used by the right wing as a symbol of resistance to what? Uh, technocrats forcing Americans to be vaccinated. And I'm like, wow, this is just what Dr. Tyson was warning us against. You follow, if you use your prominence and your celebrity and your stature uh, to put out falsehoods that could hurt people, that that's more significant than Ben Simmons struggling with his fears of missing a free throw. Do you follow me, uh, Atiba? Agreed. So I take, what Kyrie's doing far more. And, you know, I don't know if he's noticed this, but like, it's a generational thing. I don't, I, I follow basketball obsessively. All the old timers in basketball, people of my generation have chastised him. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has chastised him. Charles Jordan. Barkley, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, who is the Atiba Buchanan of basketball. Just kidding. Atiba. Um, and uh, Irvin Magic Johnson right. chastised him as well. So I, do you think he's going to – do you think he'll finally back down and, and get the vaccine and come back to play, or do you, do you think he's oh. just going to hold out? Oh, my God, I don't know. Um, it's so 
difficult to say with Kyrie Irving. It is so difficult to say. Because I could see him being drawn to the allure of going out as a martyr. I could see him being drawn to that. I could see he, him finding appeal in that. Whether he, you know whether he has changed his mind or not, I could see him gravitating towards that idea. So it is really tough for me. I mean, financially, he doesn't need to play. He's earned enough money to to be you know well off for the rest of his life comfortably. And so could could he lean toward you know could he be looking for some Colin Kaepernick type status <laughs> as as a martyr, you know, dying on the hill for that cause. It's possible, Ben. It's possible. We we may we may have seen Kyrie Irving play his last basketball in the NBA. Maybe he'll go to and the and the, the sad part is he could go to some other team overseas and make almost as much money. If it's about money, he just won't have the prestige of playing in the NBA. By the way, I just want to point out uh, something that uh, Atiba said. Uh, elaborate a little bit. Uh, I heard Charles Barkley on this subject. Okay, so follow me on this, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, he's banned in New York from playing in the arena uh, because he hasn't been vaccinated. Uh, but uh, he is can play on the road, and so even though the so the Nets decided that uh, he they're just not going to put up with him not playing some games, playing some other games, just the uncertainty of it all. Uh, as a result, he's sacrificing uh, the money he would get otherwise get uh, if you were playing on the road. But they're not p- finding they're not limiting his salary for something he has no control over, which is uh, the home uh, games. So he's going to get seventeen million dollars this year. That's what right. Barkley couldn't believe. I uh, just Charles Barkley goes, oh, I can't believe it. I'm not going to burden you guys with my Charles Barkley imitation. But anyway, he he. Uh, he he couldn't believe he's going to get seven. So money is not an issue here, T. But man, it's going to right. get seventeen million dollars for not playing. For not playing. And um, yeah, I'm with Barkley. I, you know, I, because ultimately the Nets want him to come back. Because the, the difference between him and Ben Simmons is, if he come, if Kyrie comes back, he's going to make an immediate positive impact on the team. He probably he might need at best ten games to you know figure it out, but otherwise he would make close to an immediate positive impact on the team. He's in shape. He's a, he's still in his he's very much in his prime. So the Nets are doing what they can to try and you know not ostracize him to the point that he doesn't want to come back for the team. But man, I, I think he's going to be attracted to that idea of being a martyr, Ben. And, and I think you know I don't know. I don't know. And, and the city of New York is not going to, you know, change its position. So I, I think we can, maybe we can leave that there. I just, you know, greater minds than ours will be discussing this. I will certainly keep our eyes on it. You know, we, we, we got, we got a lot to talk about because we, we've only got right. two in, right? Yeah, we got two in and, okay. uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So since we're in sports, so I will keep it. To, ben. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's my problem. I'm too easy to talk to. All right, since we're doing sports, uh, let's just keep it with the Chicago Blackhawks uh, scandal. Uh, Pretty outrageous. Uh, I talked about this a lot on the show. I don't know how much you've talked about it in your show. We have Uh, not. I would would love to hear. I can't wait to hear you lay the groundwork for it. I've read the story, but I would love your perspective because I'm not a hockey fan. So I'm sure you could give it 
way more con- the context well, that it needs. Uh, let me just say this. I'm not a hockey fan either. Uh, but uh, I, I have been following this uh, story since it broke, and I, I always give credit to, I think WBEZ's Dave McKinney was the first person that broke it in the media here in Chicago. So kudos to you, Dave McKinney. Uh, so what happened in 2010, the year 2010, a coach for the Chicago Blackhawks uh, forced a, uh, a player uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks to have sex with him. And uh, so two men, uh, it was not consensual, according to uh, the uh, player. And the coach allegedly said, if you don't have sex with me, uh, I'll get use my influence to keep you out of the league. And if you even tell anybody about what would happen, I'll, uh, you, you, I'll punish you that way. And he also, I think, uh, threatened him with a baseball bat. This is the allegations uh, that the player uh, has made. Uh, the player went and told another coach at the Chicago Blackhawks, that coach alerted the superiors, and they gathered for a private meeting. The leaders of the Chicago Blackhawks, and this was on the eve of the great Stanley Cup championship series. Stanley Cup is the trophy that they give to the winning hockey team uh, for winning the NHL championship. And so the great minds in the Chicago Blackhawks, the coach at the time, Quenville, uh, and uh, the general manager, Scotty Bowman, and the president of the franchise, John McDonough, they gathered together and they said, this is what this allegation, Atiba, of this sexual harassment. And the decision that they apparently made was that it was in the best interest of the team on the eve of the championship game to bury it, this matter, not publicize it, not investigate it, not if it turned out to be true, to punish the coach who coerced the other player into having sex. And they went on, they won the championship, and you or I were not part of the celebration because neither you nor I are hockey fans, but literally tens of thousands of Chicago Blackhawk hockey fans filled the loop uh, to join the celebration in 2020. It was the first Blackhawk championship since the 1960s. And there was just exuberance on the part of hockey fans. I did everything I could to avoid it because I'm not a hockey fan. (laughs) Anyway, fast forward 11 years and we discover uh, this scandal. The Blackhawks did an investigation because there was a lawsuit and they came out with a report that essentially corroborated uh, more or less what the player had to say. And my thoughts on this, and I'll get your your, uh, reaction. All the the writers and the great thinkers and the pundits are saying what an outrage it is. The Blackhawks should have uh, reported it back in 2010. And my point is this. I think there's a hypocrisy in a part of many of the great pundits because I believe that most sports fans would want their team to bury the evidence. They would not want the quote-unquote distraction. They would rather have a championship than deal with the injustice of a coach forcing uh, a player to have sex with him. Winning a championship is more important to hockey fans or football fans or basketball fans than right or wrong. And I think we saw that to a degree with Penn State 
where there was the scandal where the coach uh, ra- raped a young boy in the in in the shower room, and they covered it up. You remember that one, Atiba, from about ten years ago, and uh, so. I have a little trouble just completely jumping, sharing the outrage. Not that I'm not outraged. It's just that I don't, I believe most fans, if you polled them would say, yes, I like the fact that the the coaches buried this issue because I so enjoyed winning that Stanley cup. And to have that issue come out at the time would have been a distraction. That is my opinion. Your thoughts. Well, I have to disagree with you there. Um, But not in the way that you, I don't think people would ever be brazen enough if they were told to actually say that. But I do believe that's how many of them feel in their heart. So we do, uh, trust me, so I understand exactly where you're coming. My thing in, in hearing the story is, is, is a few things. One, <laughs> I haven't heard anything about any criminal charge. I'm assuming that's because the statute of limitations on, I think, rape is like five years. And it took more than that for, for this to come out. But... Here's what we do know about most sexual predators. It's never once, right? <laughs> like It was never once with Bill Cosby. It was never once with R. Kelly. It was never once with the, the gymnastics doctor. And it's probably not once with the guy that did it for the Blackhawks. Now, granted, he's not going to have, he's not going to have as, as many opportunities because he's dealing with grown men. So it's, a, it's a probably a little bit different. But here's the other thing that it speaks to. It speaks to the power of the coach. Because ultimately, this came down to power. When, when he made his threats against this player, he wasn't really saying, do what I want you to do, otherwise I'm going to physically harm you because I'm bigger and stronger than you. He's saying, I have the power, I have the influence to make your life insignificant. I, can have, the, I have the power and influence to, to even stop you from making money doing the thing that you love to do. And that's what needs to be addressed is the power dynamic between the player and the coach. And then to exacerbate that even more, once the player did what the coach told him not to do and came clean, the powers that be use their power to hurt the player again and support the coach. It reminds me of the Catholic Church, right? Because what, what the Catholic Church, they just moved priests around. They didn't address the problem. They just moved priests around and, and, and made the payout. And so we see this, you know, time and time again with, with again, these, these huge power structures that are difficult to combat. And you have to have things in place. And I think this one probably slipped through the cracks because it was man on man. I'm sure they were probably, I'm sure the powers that be were thinking, we don't need to have these things in place because what's going to happen? A bunch of straight men. And then you see something like this. So wherever there's any type of huge power shift, power dynamic, you have to have, you have to think ahead and you have to have things in place for people because if people have power, some way, somehow they're going to abuse it. Not a matter of if, it's when. Uh, by the way, to your point, it's very similar to the Catholic Church. The part of the story that I left out uh, is that after the coach uh, left the Chicago Blackhawks, and the Blackhawks allowed him to participate in the uh, the celebration after they what? won the championship, they 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 just pretended like the whole thing didn't, didn't exist. He went up to Michigan and was uh, a, 
participating in youth hockey as a coach. Uh, and oh, uh, he molested uh, a child up, up in Michigan. And so he was uh, punished for that. So it's your exactly point by the Blackhawks allowing him just to move on. It was what? like the, the Catholic Church, move a priest here or there. Uh, so, yeah, so the Blackhawks are feeling consequences. And uh, before we move on from the subject, the coach of the Chicago Blackhawks, Joe Quenville, who had left the Blackhawks coaching for a different team, was was called in front of the uh, Gary Bettman, the uh, commissioner of Hockey League. And after their meeting, uh, he uh, is either resigned I think he stepped down as coach of the the hockey team in Florida. So the consequences are finally 11 years later uh, being played out in. And, the and I never liked that. I, I never liked that people are able to behave so egregiously and be allowed to quit. They should be fired. That's mm. and and firing them, frankly, is is the least. You can do. <laughs> That's the least you can do. So I'm just I'm always dismayed when I see people do things and then they're allowed to resign whether it's cops yeah. teachers you see it all the time you know these people need to be fired period yeah uh all right uh, what's next on your list to discuss oh right let me let me go back to the list we, we had such a good conversation uh so we did Kyrie and we did uh oh I want to talk about Dave Chappelle go ahead Let's talk about Dave Chappelle and the closer. Um, the reason I want to talk about that is because it's one of those situations that I had heard more about it before I actually saw it. So I was still able to watch it with an open mind. I, I forcefully did that. But I certainly had heard all the critiques about it. And then when I saw it, I went, why is everybody so mad? And again, this is I'm I'm the liberal. I'm the I'm I'm that guy. I, I I did not see an an area where he made jokes that that were malicious, purposely purposefully belittling, or anything of that nature. But that's not even the point that I want to make today because we can we can debate that for sure. The point that I want to make is it is important. Especially having watched the the uh, the special, it is important for comedians to be able to to have some latitude in their material because comedians, believe it or not, are very very are a vital part of our social commentary. Comedians are able to broach subjects, break the ice if you. On, on on subjects and topics that are extremely difficult for the average person. When he he was bringing up points, especially as it deals with the transgender community, because the fact of the matter is, most straight men have no idea how to even discuss anything in the transgender community. We don't know how to bring it up. We don't we don't know what to say. We don't. There are so and there are so many questions and curiosities that we have. And I saw those expressions and curiosities expressed in his stand-up. And part of me was thankful for it, not because I, I subscribe to anything that he said. Let's just assume that everything that he said was wrong. At least the, the benefit is with him bringing it up, and then if we have a conversation where he is corrected, and thus the people watching can be corrected too without, without themselves having to bring it up, 
But now we all can gain a better understanding. The alternative is we continue the status quo. We don't talk about it. We have these feelings and emotions and questions, and we never bring them up. And then it, it plays out in a negative way because we don't ever develop any real empathy. We don't develop any real sympathy, and we don't develop any real understanding. Comedians have to have that space because, believe it or not, they actually advance the conversation. And the conversations need to be advanced, not ignored. And if we snatch that away from them, then we are, we are only going to hurt ourselves. I think of some of the, I look at some of the, the subjects that Chris Rock has broke about matters of race. And that, those, th- those stand-ups, when they allow us to laugh for a moment and bring levity to it, they still make a serious point that all of us can walk away with an understanding of. And I think it is wholly and completely necessary for the betterment of society as a whole. All right. Now, I just want to make certain. Did you see the uh, this the comedy episodes that he did before the closer that I did he was see responding one, at least to? One other. Okay. I did Sticks see one other that that in that one I thought he was a little harder on the trans. Yeah, I think I think his yes. joke did kind of approach that line. So here's the deal, in my humble opinion. Uh, first of all, I feel compelled to say this because I don't want to rewrite history. Dave Chappelle is one of the great comics of the 21st century. I think you'll agree with me on that one, Atiba. Undoubtedly. Uh, and I obsessively watched Dave Chappelle routines for at least 20 years. And so uh, it goes without saying that he's brilliant. Like the way he tells a story the way he ties things together, the way he'll mention something early in a show and then bring it back at the end, the unifying theme that he does, the, uh, the way he just accentuates the absurdity of a situation. You know, that little smile he does, that little like what? laugh he does. Like, I just, I love the guy. But I know that in Sticks and Stones, he hurt a lot of people with his jokes. And he had uh, made trans people the punchline in the jokes. And it's ironic that Dave Chappelle would be in that position because he himself left Comedy Central famously way back when, 20 years ago, whenever that was. He walked away from the Dave Chappelle show and millions of dollars because he felt that his material was having the wrong response with people watching it. That instead of laughing at racism, they were like laughing along with the racists. And he didn't want to be in that position where he was getting white people to laugh at black people that way. And so I think there's some similarities where the joke wasn't quite working the way he wanted to. So in the case of the Dave Chappelle show, he walked away because he didn't want to continue that and i tremendous respect for him for doing that in the case of the trans jokes he's like double down instead of saying you know i made a mistake maybe my jokes didn't work they weren't having the consequences i wanted them to have some people were hurt he like the way i view it is like he painted himself in the corner either out of pride you know whatever he won't admit 
that, yeah, I may have made a mistake. And the team, but like making a mistake is not the end of the world. None of us are perfect. Even the great Dave Chappelle can make a mistake, you know, and then say, you know what? I have second thoughts about this, if he does. But see, I now I see him allowing himself to become like a martyr for a cause that I don't really think he believes in. So he says, I'm just a comedian. I'm just pointing things out. And yet he's becoming like a political figure of great stature to MAGA. And so I just saw this the other day. Caitlyn Jenner comes out and defends Dave Chappelle. And I'm like, I don't, that is so bizarre twisted because one of the most telling jokes he made in the documentary had to do with Caitlyn Jenner. Remember he talked about how it was easier for Caitlyn Jenner uh, to change her identity, her gender identity, than it was for Muhammad Ali to change his name. Remember that? That was a joke he made in the... Yeah. And so... But that wasn't I a joke believe, about... That wasn't a joke about Caitlyn Jenner. That was a yeah, joke exactly. about society. Yes, he was talking about how uh, Caitlyn Jenner is the beneficiary of privilege uh, that black people aren't. And, and that was, was his very, whole, that was his entire point, even talking about the LGBTQ community. Because don't don't forget, he gave us a history lesson, like you just said. He gave us a history lesson in the closing when he talked about the feminist movement and Susan B. Anthony and Sojourner Truth. How many people in the audience knew that before he said it? Yeah. And so because so many people are completely void and absent of, of, the, of the things that have happened in this country historically, we, we evaluate everything that he says through the lens of now instead of looking at it through the lens of where he's actually saying. So the joke about Caitlyn Jenner wasn't about Caitlyn. That wasn't the point. The Caitlyn Jenner just happened to be the person. He could have used all types of people in that particular situation. It was just the most obvious choice uh, because besides from Family Guy, Nobody else knew that Caitlyn Jenner was going to switch the, her, her sex. How they knew it, I don't know to this day. But his point, and again, that, and that's what, and that's what disappoints me is that a lot of people miss his entire, his entire point. His entire point was, like he said at the very end, that I'm not punching down. But he was saying, but I don't want you punching on down on my people either. And that's really where all of this is coming from for, for him. So I, I feel you. I, I I agree with you. I thought I thought his, his jokes in the other series were more distasteful than what he said here. Here he was trying to explain himself. But let me tell you that I'll give you an example. I'm gonna give you a radio example, and you I think you'll get it. I was on the show the other day, and there was a caller that called in. They had screened, and they didn't. And the screener, it was about the vaccine mandate, and the screener did not agree with the lady substance. He's like, hey, I think she's crazy in her opinion. Do you guys want to let her on? And I was like, yes, let her on. Let her say her crazy thing and then let us address it on air and handle it on air because she's not the only person thinking that crazy thing. So when Dave Chappelle, even, even in the grotesque borderline grotesque jokes that he made or statements that he made, there are so many men that think just like that. In my humble opinion, it is better to air it, know that that's how people think, 
and then address it. Whether or not Dave Chappelle as an individual ever agrees with it or not is less the issue. The bigger issue is getting your, getting the correction out there and letting people then make up their own minds. We don't need Dave Chappelle mm-hmm. to tell us he's sorry or that it's okay. I can make up my own mind based on my own receiving that information from the community myself. But that's just me. Fair, fair enough. But I, I will point out before we leave this subject and go on the last one that uh, that last line, which by the way, the end of the shot of the his show was Dave Chappelle at his just at his best, like his storytelling ability and the way he told the story of his friend Daphne and that, yes. I don't want to give it away if you haven't seen it. No, it's, so hey, give it away. Urgent. It's been out two months. If they haven't seen it too bad. Okay. <laughs> it's been it's like news. when I was talking uh, for uh, the, the Quentin Tarantino movie, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood for the longest time, I go, well, I don't want to give it away. And then someone finally said, you know, Ben, the movie's been out for a year. Right. Like <laughs> you can give it away. It is what it is. Uh, it is what it is. But, uh, he talked about, uh, don't punch down on my community. And then immediately the response, cause the point he was making was the point that we were just talking about, uh, that, uh, like particularly white gay men have an advantage, big advantage over black people. Exactly. Uh, and so what his point is, is that whenever it's convenient, uh, they are able to escape into their whiteness and suddenly their, their identity is a white identity. And, uh, that, and that is the point uh, he's making. And then immediately after he said that, don't punch down to my community. And then a lot of people pointed out, well, there's a black trans out there who are presumably part of your community as well. It's not just all, it's not just white people who are trans, you know, haven't oh, you yeah, seen no, the, I- haven't you seen the TV show pose? Uh, Dave Chappelle. Um, anyway, uh, this this conversation will be going on, but it is interesting. I th- I, I do think uh, this phenomenon that D- I know Dave Chappelle doesn't want any a part about, doesn't want to be a part of it. It is interesting. I like got to point this out to how he's become this like martyr figure to MAGA, and I'm just like MAGA. Where were you when Dave Chappelle did his special about George Floyd? Right. And I know you must have seen that one, at T, because you're a fan. That was came out in 2020. Yep. Uh, it, it was a very sobering. Uh, there wasn't really much jokes in it. Right. And I didn't hear any from anyone from MAGA uh, celebrating Dave Chappelle. Then just yeah, they're all opportunists. They're they're all opportunists in everything that they do, in everything that that they do, and that's that's what makes me so frustrated with with the MAGA folk, because truthfully, behind the scenes, many of them don't even believe the stuff that they're saying. It, it just really turns out to be a cash cow for them. Those politicians are able to raise so much money off these poor people. And it's just really sad. Because I, I can almost take somebody that at least believes what they're talking about. But most of them know that, you know, most of the, just about every governor, every politician that's out here talking about freedom from from uh, vaccine mandates are vaccinated. <laughs> when when Governor Abbott in Texas got COVID, he had already had his third shot when they weren't even giving third shots yet. While he while he's over here in his state, though, um, not allowing schools to have a mask mandate, he's over here with his third shot months before anybody else has had. So that, that, that's the part about them that makes me so disgusted, because when it comes to their health, Do- Donald Trump, I'm sure, is triple shot. 
he's I, I guarantee he's had at least three shots, if not four. Yeah. And they choose to make him the face of their freedom. It's it's yeah. stunning to me how how crazy and uninformed these people are. I just I don't know what to say about it. All right, my final uh topic uh it has to do with the congressional maps, and this is a story that's unfolding uh as we speak. Uh, after every after every census, every ten years, there's a redistricting uh, that goes that occurs for all legislative districts, in order to make sure that each district has more or less the same rough number of people uh, in them. And uh, so, Illinois lost population over the last ten years. So instead of eighteen congressional districts, we will now have seventeen. Right now, the map is 13 Democrats, five Republicans. Where Democrats are in charge of the map making, we talk about this all the time. Uh, on this show, Atiba, and that is that the gerrymandering is alive uh, and well in this country. Republicans do it whenever they can. Whenever they have power, they redraw the maps to maximize their political power and minimize the power of Democrats. And that is why right now, even though a majority of the people vote Democrat in congressional elections, Republicans are right, right there. Just six, but I think it's just the six... Uh, person difference in the house that gives Nancy Pelosi makes Nancy Pelosi uh, the speaker. Uh, and once we're done with these midterms coming up, the Republicans could eradicate that. Uh, in thanks in part, thanks to gerrymandering throughout the country. So gerrymandering is alive and well, don't act like it doesn't happen in Republican areas, uh, Republican States, Republicans don't be that blatantly hypocritical here in Illinois. The Democrats uh, have created a map that uh, even though they've lost one seat overall, will increase, if all works out well for the Democrats, the number of Democrats in Congress from 13 to 14. The problem is, to do that, they had to put two Democrats in the same district. Marie Newman, who's the congresswoman uh, currently uh, from the uh, 4th Congressional District on the southwest side, and Sean Caston, who is the Democrat from DuPage County. Uh, so now there is a great political fight that's on the horizon, possibly, maybe cast it. Marie Newman already announced she's running uh, for that congressional seat. Uh, Sean Kasson hasn't, as far as I know, hasn't made clear what he's going to do. Uh, there's, so there's going to be bloodletting on the, the part of Democrats is unavoidable. Uh, my position on this, uh, Atiba, is that right now it's a fight in America uh, between... <laughs> what? Republican MAGA uh, and Democrats. And this is one of the one weapons Democrats have. I wish in a perfect world there was not gerrymandering. I wish in a perfect world that we divided the vote, the voters, the congressional districts that wasn't, uh, that did not encourage this kind of political battles, but that's not the world we live in. The world we live in is where Texans, Republicans in Texas are drawing a map that's going to maximize Republican strength and minimize Democratic strength, put Democrats in the same districts to fight it out. And so it's just the terms of the fight largely shaped by Republicans that Democrats are following. And so I applaud, as weird as this sound, I applaud the gerrymandering efforts by Democrats in the state of Illinois. Uh, they're playing the game the way Republicans do. And Democrats, it's funny. You always say, oh, why can't we be more like Republicans and take advantage of the weaknesses of the other side? And then when it happens, you get all nervous. Oh, it's, 
I don't know. It seems unfair. So my position is Democrats are doing what they have to do to try to keep MAGA from taking charge. Uh, and this is the price. Your thoughts? Well, as I hear you speak, and, and again, you, you know more about this than I do, admittedly. This is kind of a civics lesson for me, and I appreciate it. My first question is, are the Democrats really gerrymandered? Because Illinois is a Democratic state. And it does have more Democrats than Republicans. And so is there anything substantively that's been done to the map that will advantage Democrats in a way that, that if there were a free and fair election in that area, wouldn't be so? I don't, I don't know that we could. Can we prove that? I mean, I'm asking. No. Uh, well, I didn't, I didn't know if you were going to go somewhere else. Uh, the, the answer is, well, it's not as clear cut as uh, Texas. I'll put it this way. If you see the maps in Texas, and I urge you to check them out sometime. Yeah. <laughs> what Republicans did to the Democrats in Texas is, uh, is pretty blatant. But here in, uh, what they did in Illinois is they put Republicans in the same districts. So what you do in order, so in order to maximize your political power, what you do is you concentrate Republican voters into a handful of districts Understood. and you spread your voters out through many districts. And that way your democratic vote uh, has an influence in more districts and could be controlling factor in more districts. That's, that's the heart of gerrymandering. And um, so they're maximizing the democratic, the advantage they have. And you're absolutely correct. The majority of voters in the state of Illinois are democratic. So they're maximizing an advantage they already have by distributing Democrats in such a way as that there are a majority in more districts. If you're just okay. going to evenly divide the map just without even thinking about politics in any way, uh, it could be that you draw a map in which it's 50-50 Republicans and Democrats. And so who knows who's going to win it? Uh, do you follow what I'm saying? But if you, if you spread, if you disperse your Democrats... <laughs> Uh, throughout the state so that you make sure there are a significant number in every district except for a handful of Republican districts, then you've maximized their strength. And that's the principle of gerrymandering when it comes to drawing up a map. So what the Democrats have done is they've taken a majority, like you said, they've taken advantage in Illinois, uh, and they've developed that. And okay. I believe strategically in the fight to keep Nancy Pelosi uh, and the Democrats in charge of Congress, this is necessary to offset the gerrymandering that the Republicans have done in Texas and Florida uh, and uh, Pennsylvania, where they're doing the same thing, where they're maximizing Republican voters by concentrating Democrats in a handful of districts. Does that uh, make sense? Yes, it does. So let me tell you, I'll tell you my thoughts. Um, because, because the motivations, in my opinion, of the two parties are different. Uh, Democrats are in power and, and, and people just don't, you know, Republicans are not used to Democrats being in power. Anytime they actually wield the power that they've earned through the, through the vote, Republicans are going to have a problem. Republicans, generally speaking, their, their, their motivation for gerrymandering is about maintaining power in places that based on the policies, they would lose power because they're trying to win by two different ways. They're trying to win by gerrymandering, by voter suppression. 
They're not, again, trying to win by policy. Where Democrats have the advantage of people, you take any, almost any Democratic policy and you poll it as an individual policy and the vast majority of Americans like that policy. <laughs> there, are very, there are very few things that Republicans lead anything on policy-wise. And so their motivation is different because they know they know that they can't win fair and square. They know that they won't win. So I, I try. I, I wouldn't even necessarily go through, I wouldn't even give the, them the dignity of equating what Democrats are doing by actually just using the power they've earned as opposed to what Demo- as opposed to what Republicans do, which is honestly cheat. <laughs> Democrats aren't cheating. They they just, you know, this they they Republicans are mad. There's a saying in the hood, then don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> this is one of those moments. Democrats have not done anything that they're not legally allowed to do. They are just playing the game the way that it is, the way that it is being presented to them. And Republicans are losing their minds. Um, that said, that said, we got some serious concerns coming up in 2022. And I won't go too deep into the future, but I will talk about Adam Penzinger for a minute. Because he's decided he's not going to run again. And he's he's one of the two or three sane Republicans we have left in Congress. This is now the party of Trump. And he's not running again. What, Regardless of how they cut the map up, He wasn't going to run again because he knows he wasn't going to be able to win. By the time this commission is done, which will be probably done more than midterm, his reputation within the party is going to be straight trash. Liz Cheney's reputation in the party is going to be straight trash. She's not going. She's going to probably likely lose her seat. So right now, we have you mentioned it earlier. Who, who, who's really the the uh, the A and B? Who's the yin and yang of of who who are voting for? We got. Democratic Party, and we got some crazy people. And right now, the crazies are really doing a number because they are strategically aligning themselves. What has Trump been doing the entire time he's been out of office? He's been attacking all the people in positions that did not support him in his insurrection on the federal level and on the state level. And he's removing as best he can all those people so that he can get his sycophants in place in every level, not because he's going to get more voters, but because the next time he wants to steal an election, he'll be able to do it because he'll have the support on all the underlying layers to give him the ability to do it. And that's what we need to be watching out for because that's what's coming. The first, the first insurrection was practice. They're going to do it again, but they're, but they're definitely going to learn from their mistakes. They're not going to do it the same way. So yeah, that you know, th- that's where we are. Thank God for Illinois. We're still going to be worth, you know, 20, what is that, 20 electoral, 20 or 29 electoral college votes, um, come, you know, come the next presidential election. Illinois really isn't going to change. much. I don't think we're going to have, I don't think we're in any danger of having a Republican governor anytime soon. People like what Pritzker's doing for the most part. And we had that taste of rounder, and we're not going to soon forget it. So Illinois is, is going to be fine. I'm worried about the country. Well put, Atiba. Uh, all right, we'll close with what your final thought that's on your mind. Go ahead. By all means. Uh, let, let me, because I want to use the right names and, and all that good stuff. But essentially, there was a reverse discrimination lawsuit. Um, let's see here. A white, I'm reading from CBS. A white man has been awarded $10 million by a federal jury. It was not a bench trial, jury. 
that sided with his claim that he was fired as part of a diversity effort by his employer, then employer, Novant Health. David Duvall, D-U-V-A-L-L, Novant's senior vice president of marketing communications was terminated without any notice on July 30th, 2018 by the Winston-Salem, North Carolina-based not-for-profit health system, according to his 2019 complaint. Uh, Duvall was ordered off the premises immediately five days before his fifth work anniversary. Uh, despite receiving strong yearly reviews from Novant to document claim, Duvall was allegedly fired without warning or cause as part of an intentional campaign to promote diversity in his management, in its management ranks, a campaign Novant has boasted about publicly. Um, and that's that's basically the crux of his of his lawsuit. He was replaced by two women, one white woman, one black woman. Uh, Novant says they basically claim that the reason that he was fired was because he was delegating much of his work to these two women anyway, and to them it was a reasonable conclusion that they could just do the work as opposed to him paying all three of them to do the work that the two of those ladies were doing. He also, they also claim, they, his former employer, that he had, that he was deposed. He's, he has a deposition stating that he does not feel that it was, it was a discrimination that caused him to be fired. So ultimately, again, he found a bunch of like-minded people and his jurors that believed him and they were willing to side with him and allow him to win. My concern is this. This is going to open the floodgates for any, any, especially straight white men that have lost their job and they think that people are, you know, they, 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 they're, and, and this is a, this is a brilliant thing the right does. They're able to basically vilify words. Diversity is a bad word. That's a bad word. So they can say, yeah, it was that diversity. Just like, Critical race theory is now a bad word. They do a great job of the vilification of words and phrases that really are benign words and phrases. But now these things are horrible because of the way that they've been able to successfully um, market them. So I think this is I think the floodgates are going to open for these types of lawsuits. Um, and and they're going to be able to look at this case because that's how law works as precedent. All you have to do is look at Duval versus Novant, <laughs> and, and they're going to be able to use that as precedent in other cases. And I think that's that's going to be problematic for companies in the future. When again, at the end of the day, all 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 companies are trying to do is hire more fairly because they have been hiring so unfairly all this time. So anytime that I, I forget how the phrase goes, but essentially I'm paraphrasing. Anytime that you've been operating in privilege. You know, fairness feels like oppression, and that's where that's where we are. These these, you know, this guy has been operating in a certain amount of privilege all of his life, and any any anything that looks like equity and fairness to him feels like oppression. We have to do better as a society. I'm with you, and man, this blew my mind when I saw it. And my first question, I have not seen the answer to this. What was the racial makeup of the jury? I have not uh, that seen any of that case. I've not seen that. Because I have a hard time believing that a jury with any black people on it would come in this way. Yeah. But it wasn't a hung jury. Ten, it wasn't a mistrial. 
he got six <laughs> to twelve million. people, six to twelve people to say, "Yep," and in and, and complete agreement, he's right. That's why he got fired. See, see, here's the thing. I mean, this this that we could do a whole show on this, and I I've. I am privy. I have lived among white people, as I've said many times, my whole life. So I've heard a lot of conversations white people have among themselves. And I can tell you, Atiba, going back to the 70s, back to the 70s, that there's this notion that white people have that somehow or other the game is tilted against them because of affirmative action. Right. I mean, this is deep. Yeah. I, I, I'm like, I don't know how you can look at the history of America and come to that conclusion. Like some kid doesn't get into Harvard. He, a white kid doesn't get into Harvard, let's say. So he goes to, I don't know, the University of Illinois. And he feels like he's been the victim of an injustice. You got, you're still going to college. You, right. you, know, you get what I'm saying? Somehow yeah. or other, he turns that into an injustice. And by the way, why are you blaming black people? Because <laughs> you right. didn't get into Harvard. I, it's deep. And it's been, it's lodged into the psyche. And it's so, it's so much a part of, um, it's just so much a part of the psyche in America that I now hear black people say it sometimes. The conservative yeah. black people, Clarence Thomas, for instance. Right. Like, I'm against affirmative action because I want to believe that I get what I get just because I'm the best and we have a meritocracy. And I'm like, are you kidding me, Clarence Thomas? Right. You are where you are because you were a black conservative. You're not where you are because you were like, Knew the Constitution better than somebody. Right. <laughs> you were where you are because you told white Republicans what they wanted to hear. And it was very and, valuable when it came out of your mouth. And because other black people before him, like Thurgood Thomas, like Thurgood Marshall, uh, again, fought the good fight so that he could be in that position. And that's, that's, that's what frustrates me. Then you got to look at this yeah. from a labor perspective. Look at, look at how much energy Republicans have spent with these uh, right-to-work laws. Look how much energy they've spent in allowing, uh, wanting employers to be at-will employers. What does at-will mean? It means they can fire you whenever they get good and ready. And they don't have to have a reason. And they're all for that until it happens to them. <laughs> and that again, that, that's the stuff that frustrates me. They're completely anti-union, completely anti-worker. But then when they have to be subject to the rules that they implement, it's a problem. Absolutely stunning. You know, again, I, the, the, their, their levels of hypocrisy know no bounds. <laughs> yeah. It, it is completely boundless. And, and they, you know, again, they, they, they're all fine with these rules for everybody else except themselves. Yeah. I can't believe that, again, so many of us fall for. Yeah, that is a great point. Oh my goodness, at will. That is such an issue in the labor movement. That's Bruce Rauner. Uh, you mentioned Rauner. He wanted to impose at will statewide yes, in, the, they, in Illinois. Right, and that's what I mean. They champion that. But then when an employer fires one of them, wait, whoa, 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 hey, hey, hey. We didn't mean you could fire us. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> can fire a Tebow, but not us. 
You can fire Susie, <laughs> but not but but not us. That's not what we meant. So it's just stunning, man. You know, we, we man, we just you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm speechless now. At that that's the goodest place to leave it because that is a beautiful point that I hadn't thought yet. Will, oh my god, that ladies and gentlemen, that's why he's so good. That's why I said he's the Michael Jeffrey Jordan of broadcasting because he came up with that. Actually, I'm never going to do that again because that's not fair. Because Michael Jordan is so you're more like the uh, Brad Sellers. Was I love Brad Sellers? So uh, I'll take BJ. I don't want to call you. Okay, he's good enough. BJ's good enough. Yeah, he's fine. He's a he's a BJ Armstrong of broadcasting, ladies yep. and gentlemen. Atiba yep. Buchanan. Uh, Atiba, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy these days. Uh, one more time, tell everybody where they can hear you on WVON. Go ahead. Absolutely. So again, on afternoons with Egoan and Buchanan, um, WVON AM sixteen ninety from three until six Monday through Thursday, and on Friday nights nine to midnight, Buchanan and Seaton. And Ben, I cannot tell you how much fun I had doing this. I appreciate the invite. This was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Uh, so uh, any producers out there like it and you want to book Atiba and Ben, go ahead. Okay. Let's, uh, ben, you, you're, you're an amazing mind, and I learned so much when I, whenever I worked with you. It was great. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you very much. That's high praise. That's the great Atiba Buchanan. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.